as above, so below. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. I do psychotherapy, and I'm very interested in the relationship between synchronicity and interpersonal as well as intrapsychic relations. I have a new book, uh, Meaningful Coincidences, which you can get at any bookstore or online. And uh, it'll tell you about serendipity, synchronicity, as well as simulpathity and a word I invented and seriality, four forms of meaningful coincidences. But my story for today is uh, down by the river and a little Grateful Dead thrown in. Uh, a friend of a good friend of mine has spastic cerebral palsy. I wondered if a good chiropractor could loosen him up, but that seemed unlikely. Then a, a few days uh, later, as I was thinking about this, I was walking along the Ravana River here in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I saw five guys sitting on some rocks along the river. Four of them were listening to the fifth song, to the fifth talk. So I said something to them that reminded me they, that what they were doing reminded me of a Grateful Dead song. And what song was that, they asked. So I sang a line from Uncle John's band, Come here, Uncle John's band, by the riverside. Got some things to talk about. And they were doing some talking about. So they invited me down after they started laughing. And uh, the speaker turned out to be a body worker who was looking for someone with severe spastic cerebral palsy to work on. He has had some success with mild spastic cerebral palsy and wanted to try more difficult challenges. My good friend was delighted to hear this possibility and to bring it to her friends. Sometimes what you are looking for, what you are seeking, is also looking for you. My guest today is Rick Tarnas, and uh, so glad to see him again. Um, He's a professor of philosophy and psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, where he founded the graduate program in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness. He teaches courses in the history of ideas, archetypal cosmology, depth psychology, and religious evolution. He's the author of The Passion of the Western Mind, uh, which is a big enough book, but as he was doing it, he was doing it because he wanted to write another book, Cosmos and Psyche, about astrological correlations with history, but he realized he had to do history first. So he wrote this Passion of the Western Mind, another amazing tome, and then Cosmos and Psyche, which, as I say, connects what's going on down here with what's going on astrologically at historical levels. Cosmos and Psyche received the Book of the Year Prize from the Scientific and Medical Network and inspired the documentary series, The Changing of the Gods. It's based on this book. So, Rick, thank you very, very much for joining me on the show. And uh, please tell us one of your favorite synchronicity stories. Well, um, first, it's good to see you again, Bernie. I think this is... I. I think this is about the third time that we've done something together over the years. Uh, and 
Yes, I remember when we first met, it was pretty soon after Cosmos and Psyche came out. And uh, because you were coming back into the uh, back to San Francisco for a visit and where you had been for years and where I I live in the Bay Area, we 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 got together. And I think, yeah, I, I remember at that time feeling a real um well, at that point, there weren't that many MDs and PhDs that were publicly engaged with the study of of synchronicities in whatever form, and um, so I was heartened heartened by by that. And of course, we had lots of com common um, interests and and background and so forth. And uh, so I've enjoyed our our friendship over the years, and also appreciated your your um your work in this in this area particularly bringing into psychiatry and psychotherapy the importance of i mean you're, you've ex you've extended beyond that now but to the degree to which you um i mean devoted a whole issue or two uh of of your um of your journal that you were editing at that point to the relevance of synchronicity for supporting the therapeutic process and informing it, illuminating it, et cetera. Um, my wife, Yvonne, did her dissertation on on that topic uh, from particularly within the, the Jungian uh, analytical perspective. And um, so it's, it's, it's an area of real importance. And I might just add, this might be, I suppose, my entree into a synchronicity story um really the it may seem odd for a person who you know is a professor of philosophy and history uh to also be writing books about or even teaching uh courses that involve any form of uh evidence or assumptions about the fact that the movements of the planets might have some meaningful correlation with the patterns of human experience. I mean, that's uh, almost like a self-contradiction. How is that possible if you're a person who is, you know, a modern uh, academic? Uh, astrology is the gold standard of superstition in our culture. And uh, it's it's one thing to look at synchronicities, which is already getting a little bit fuzzy and magical thinking, um, delusions of self-reference, perhaps, we, even though some of those coincidences to even the most skeptical person make them go, wow, that's quite a coincidence. And, and they may have to go through some emotional denial to keep it at a distance. But still, um, synchronicity is a little bit more... Um, a little bit more uh, acceptably on the borderline of of uh, what could be encompassed by our uh, modern or postmodern um, intellectuals. And in fact, I have a friend who is a, a professor of uh, religious studies. Uh, quite a famous uh, author as well, uh, as well as um, and scholar in this area. And like many professors of religious studies, he's quite skeptical about a lot of aspects of religion. 
Um, but he said to me once, I don't believe in anything uh, anymore, except I do believe in synchronicity. And I think of that as being a kind of paradigm statement of, of a postmodern sensibility where, where the old, in some sense, the old gods have fa fallen, the stars have fallen from the heavens, as, as Jung put it. Uh, the, the, um, we, we, we seem to live in a universe described by modern science as being disenchanted and so forth. And yet these meaningful synchronicities happen to most of us, perhaps all of us, uh, some of overwhelming personal uh, impact. Yeah. And within that very personal sphere of life, we open up to the possibility that there may be something more like capital S capital M something more in the nature of reality. And uh, that something more is of course, William James's term. Uh, and, and so in some ways, I think your work with synchronicity and, and our, our, our common interest in it and, and writing about it has to do Rec reflects our recognition that synchronicity is a kind of um, entree into a larger recognition of the world as being um, spiritually meaningfully informed, uh, that more is going on than just a disenchanted mechanistic uh, worldview can accommodate. Um, Shakespeare's great line about there are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of uh, in, in your philosophy, Horatio, the, uh, from Hamlet. That's um, that's the nub of it. Uh, there's more things than any philosophy can encompass. And synchronicities constantly puncture that conviction that maybe we've, our, our modern um, disenchanted rationalist understanding has uh, nailed it, the nature of reality, when in fact... Um, it's only got a a thin and superficial slice of the of the big picture. Uh, what does okay, it so, what does it mean to you that 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 there have been an, there's an article about my book and meaningful coincidences in both the Wall Street Journal and the Los Angeles Times? Uh, and and do you want to just uh, give a you know sentence uh, characterization it, of the reviews? Uh, the 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 Wall Street Journal was uh, more focused on meaningful coincidences and coincidences that readers had sent into the writer um, that at, with my book being a central part of it and my quotes being a central part of it. But the L.A. Times one was all about my book with people kind of reacting to it and uh, ending with, in both cases, stories by the reporter of their own meaningful coincidences. And the LA, the LA one uh, got a lot of uh, response from what I could tell from Amazon book sales yeah. uh, and the Wall Street Journal to some extent. So that seems to me a, a, a step in the direction that both of us want to have happen, that it becomes like that philosopher friend of yours who's saying, well, maybe there's, there is something to synchronicity. Yeah. I think, I think it reflects a, um, a, a, these are signs of an emerging shift in the zeitgeist, uh, uh, in 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 the cultural worldview. Part of that shift, I think, is reflected in generational changes. Um, 
if I can generalize, I mean, you and I are from the boomer generation. And honestly, in the 1960s, uh, much of the 70s, I would say something like synchronicity was just part of the fabric of reality for, for many people who were in, involved in the counterculture, which was an enormous percentage then before everybody went to Wall Street or uh, other. Um, I mean, our, some, our law school, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, open, open up shops on Union Street. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> uh-huh. So, I mean, there's many ways in which people settled down or went straight or or whatever. But um, I think the ideal was what is was to somehow find a way of simultaneously um, making a living, being able to raise a family or whatever was one's uh, path. And at the same time, hold true to the um, insights and the ideals that that emerged during that period of of uh, kind of cultural and and even spiritual creativity that was that was taking place partly mediated by the psychedelic revolution um that opened up people's uh minds to the possibility that there was a, a much larger and more interesting and and enchanted reality that was being obscured or blocked by our the 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 narrow form of uh, the filtering of our of our modern perception and thinking so I, I was just saying we we come from that boomer generation that did have did carry a lot of this uh and a number of people and I, um you were certainly one of them stayed true to those insights at the same time that you went on to get an md and a um you know become a, a practicing uh, physician, psychiatrist, and so forth. Uh, but I think generationally, each generation since then, and particularly I think the the millennial generation uh, born in the later 80s and 90s, um, it's almost as if there's been a kind of dissolving of the epistemological armoring that uh, earlier generations carry. By that, I mean, uh, there's a, there's a, um earlier uh, generations in the modern period have had more of a rigid sense of what's allowed into their 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 view of reality and millennials for example the tremendous popularity of astrology um among millennials that's been written about in the uh, new york times and the uh wall street journal and so forth that 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 that's pointing to, I think, this um, greater metaphysical flexibility, this greater openness to um, multiple realities being valid. Uh, so uh, synchronicities coming. I mean, you know, I I attended and, and spoke at a uh, a con an entire large conference devoted to synchronicity about ten years ago. Uh, that was that was put on. A uh, number of scholars were there, and so forth. It's, it's. I think synchronicity is a good opening wedge to uh, help us recognize that. Um, I think uh, I suggested as the title for today's conversation could be "All Things Breathe Together," uh, and that points to an understanding of the way synchronicities work. Is the fact that reality itself is all intrinsically interconnected 
It's an interconnected whole in some way. And um, it is meaningful through and through. And meaning is not just a human construct. It's something that nature, the cosmos, uh, the very nature of reality is meaning saturated and human consciousness is participating in that larger uh, meaning saturated field. And so when uh, synchronicities take place, those uh, reflect this, this larger coherence, this larger meaningful uh, patterning of, of, of reality. I might, I might mention that uh, in, it's, it's only in the modern period that a word like synchronicity that, that Jung, uh, C.G. Jung coined, it's only in this modern period that, a, that the phenomenon of synchronicity would even have to be talked about as a particular thing because all non-modern societies already live in such a synchronistic universe that they don't need a term for it. Um, it, it uh, when a, a person who, uh, oh, I give an example in my book of like when a baby is born in a tribal indigenous culture and at the same time that the baby's born, uh, two eagles are seen as flying overhead and that's seen as meaningful that this birth and those eagles flying overhead happen at the same time. Uh, the disenchanted modern mind would say, well, that's just a projection. Uh, it's just a coincidence. The, the meaningful thing is this birth is happening to this person. It, the eagles have nothing to do with the, the, the baby being born. And, um, but for, the, for this non-modern sensibility, that's just a kind of opacity. There's a kind of obtuse blindness that uh, the modern mind has, like because it just recognizes everything's breathing together, and this baby being born, and those two eagles going overhead. That's a that's a signal. That's a um, the universe is full of signs. Nature is constantly communicating. Um, it's the meaning of the whole situation to the part that is our consciousness uh, which and if we in our deluded way think that we're the only sources of meaning then we're we're locked into a prison compared to those peoples who get to experience being in a world in which the world communicates uh meaningfully all the time to the human being because the human being doesn't look at itself as being the uh, exclusive owner of all um, capacity for meaning and purposeful intelligence. That's the, a, that's a, that's a beautifully yeah. said, Rick. And I actually needed to hear that myself because I've gotten more and more. The meaning is what I put into it kind of way of thinking. And even the what's out there, I put meaning into it. And the idea that nature is meaningfully communicating to us. I mean, I kind of know that from a bunch of experiences, but I needed the label of it, which is why academics like us are important because we can label things that people then can say they can recognize it. Now, why is, why is nature communicating meaningfully to us? Um, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, 
and and I think it has something to do with. I mean, again, you think of a a tribal culture, uh, of whether five thousand years ago or continuing to this day, many of them carry this enchanted um, uh, recognition of the soul of the world as a that they are participating in. Um, we as we're a member of a community as human beings, a larger community of many species, many forms of life, even many forms of being, the water, the air, the wind, um, the trees and the, and the uh, animals and fish and so forth. And um, we are not seen as being, you know, kind of this, this absolutely different, distinct, separate organism that has its own rules and every, everything else uh, is, is devoid of this, these privileged capacities that we have. Rather, we are participating in, in this worldview that's pretty much shared among um, most societies that we have records for going back thousands of years. Uh, the human being and that tribe on, uh, living on that land in, is, ex experiences itself as being a member of a larger, basically um, a, commu a linguistic community that is, that is this community of, of other beings, whether it's trees or birds or, or the wind, being part of the whole that we are part of, it communicates symbolically. And indigenous people um, and poets, uh, 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 good poets of any era, they get good at being able to discern the poetic, uh, they, they get, uh, they cultivate a capacity for symbolic discernment because the world is pregnant with meaning and purposes and it's constantly communicating its own reality to the rest of the whole and if we can be alert to this um meaningful exchange this it's it's an archetypal language it's a it's a language that uses symbols and archetypes to to communicate meaning and um other cultures were very uh, sophisticated in being able to read the whole, whether it was able to, whether it was reading the stars or reading the patterns of the bird flights or or the um, the wind, and then patterning their own activity in relationship to the signals that they were getting from the whole, uh, we today are having to kind of relearn, cultivate that capacity for uh, for discernment in order to break out of the bubble of a of an anthropocentric um, uh, prison, prison that only we are meaning. Yeah, prison. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, it's yeah that we're we're locked in it, and we know we have to do something different now. We yeah. know we have to do something different now, and this is really love listening to your description. Your you're such a scholar and teacher. <laughs> I've been able to hear one like that for quite a while. So hearing you wax eloquent about synchronicity, it will be very valuable for, for our audience because they can hear 
the concepts that you have visualized so nicely. Uh, what, what we are trashing our planet right now. We are ignoring the trees and the birds and the other animals, as well as the fungi that are around there, but we're ignoring them because we're the only ones here is the basic idea. And that is ending up being a uh, suicidal thing for humanity to be doing this, as well as we're killing so many animals and plants too. How can this recognition of we are part of this whole and the and parts of that whole are communicating to us. How can that recognition help if we want to, and we have to decide there is some free will here, how can synchronicity help us change our course and become more aware and actively changing our relationship to what's around us? Yeah, this is this is a million dollar uh, question because or trillion uh, because um, obviously we're we're at a kind of apocalyptic threshold. Um, the planet is going through a uh, a, a mega crisis uh, that one species has produced, and not only one species but one civilization within that species, modern industrial civilization, empowered by technology empowered by uh, this tremendous development of, of human rationality, but all within the service of a kind of objectification of a world that should more accurately be regarded not as a collection of objects, as Thomas Berry would say, but as a communion of subjects. And once we, synchronicities help us recognize that we live in a world that uh, is a communion of subjects that all have um, that are all participating in in a, a larger circulation of of meanings and purposes. But because of the anthropocentric um, arrogance of the mainstream modern self as embodied in industrial civilizations, you know, extraction of everything that it can get out of nature with no sense of of uh, of of our being uh, embedded in it. And now what it's doing to us, you know, we're, we're going through a kind of classic Greek tragedy of hubris and fall uh, in which the, the hubris came from basically God dies and we become the highest form of intelligence and spirit. This is in the mainstream modern uh mind uh in its sense that the human being is at the top of uh is the most uh the highest uh level of purposeful conscious intelligence in the known universe and this is something that would just seem delusional to many other cultures who recognize that we're we're special but we're participants in something much bigger uh, and that there's other uh, players in this in this larger field um, and that have their own moral value, that have their own um, uh, that we that we need to respect and any and love uh, rather than regard as simply being 
objects of our potential exploitation so that old growth forests just become lumber and um, animals just become harvestable commodities and or 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 lab experiments or even children's minds become marketing targets and indigenous cultures need to they're they're primitive and they need to be get gotten out of the way so that we can exploit the the resources that they're holding back etc all that kind of arrogant objectification of of the natural world comes from a worldview in which uh, synchronicities aren't possible because that world is seen as being intrinsically uh, without uh, capacity for in, in, uh, carrying meaning and communicating meaning. And uh, only human beings have that. And if you think that you're seeing a synchronicity, you're projecting your subject of meaning onto the world. And that's just uh, delusional. And if you do it a lot, then you, you probably should get medicated, um, <laughs> which is how a number of psychiatrists would react to somebody uh, oh, who, yeah. it's, who it's, sees it's, a lot of synchronicities. It's an uphill battle with mental health. Uh, take out the pill really quickly when somebody starts talking about this stuff. That's, yeah. that's very true. So what there is a, something, there is appearing to me something unique about human beings. It's not as unique as humans think, but that ability to be aware of oneself now, my son's dog, Walter, is aware of himself. Uh, you can just tell uh, that he knows what he's up to, and he's watching what his own mind does. So we know that other species have some capacity for self-reflection within a limited range. But we have a specialness, at least the way I think about it. We have a, we have a specialness that has to do with this ability to recognize the things that you're saying. We know that we're here and something else is out there. And now your message is very much, and to me, very important that they're, they're messaging back to me. I know somebody who's a horse whisperer and uh, she calls it something different. And she's got a horse that tells her, why are you humans doing this to the planet and to us? And the horse is communicating a real concern, a very real concern for other animals as well as horses. So there is a consciousness in other beings. Maybe it's just that we can talk, but there's still something a little more, a little different about the self-awareness of humans. Or yeah. you agree with that? So oh yeah, we we have a capacity for uh, reflexivity for a, a, a level of of. Um of radical reflexivity that uh, to our knowledge is 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 unique and that gives us a uh, a capacity as well as a responsibility and, and and a burden um the burden could be uh that there there can be that sense of isolation or alienation that comes from being self self aware uh and feeling uh, that one's not uh no no longer in a kind of unconscious participation in the whole uh but um i love the uh, your point about i i've heard and read many cases of things like that the, where the the horse communicates or it can be people get it in dreams where like an animal will appear in a dream um or people will have 
uh, a um, an experience on uh, ayahuasca or, or LSD therapy or something like that, where where they may become a tree, um, and they experience that their 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 limbs uh, becoming tree limbs and get feeling rooted and get insights into what it's like with the with the whole um, uh, process of uh, taking in from the sun, the energy and uh, the photosynthesis, and then the, the water and the and everything coming in and the, and this almost sense of service that the, that the tree and other plants have in giving to the whole. Um, so uh, the fact that more people are coming into an awareness of this, this communion of subjects is important, but human beings, now, this question of human being specialness, I'd like to address that. Please do. Um, because there's, I want to dis distinguish between two kinds of, of specialness. One is the kind of specialness that is very characteristic of, of a kind of, oh, atheistic, secular, uh, modern humanist uh, with who's very anthropocentric and who, who basically says like, human beings are are uh, the only game in town that is, that really counts that they're that has conscious intelligence is carrying the possibility of uh, of understanding and communicating meaning um, and so forth. Maybe some of the high, uh, so called higher um, uh, mammals uh, like whales or 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 dogs and and then also the um, some birds uh, shows fairly sophisticated consciousness but not at the level of human beings and in fact human beings you know we talk about they have sacred rights of the individual sacred rights of the human person and all the focus is on the human um rather than recognizing the sacrality of of of, of all of nature so there's that kind of specialness that is characteristic of of you know the mainstream modern disenchanted mind but then um, I think as a whole, we're going through a kind of near-death experience as a, as, a, as a civilization and a planet and precipitated by you know, this, this kind of arrogance and human exploitation in a one-sided way of the, of the uh, rest of the biosphere. Uh, which reflects a lot of processes that went you know, historically that brought about this technological capacity, but, but also this impulse to just objectify the rest of the world. And only we subjects count in our specialness. And so there's a kind of ego death that I think is happening to humanity that in a way the postmodern period is a represents a kind of descent into the into an underworld of of uh, transformation. Um, we're going through a kind of initiatory transformation whereby we will, I think, die to the old sense of being um, special in this arrogant, uh, uh, superior, hierarchical way. And instead, we are kind of, we, we die to that old identity and that old view of reality. And we are born into a, uh, a new uh, reality, which is a very old reality, uh, ancient and, and venerated, um, that we we are special, but in a new way, 
because that specialness is rooted in the in the cosmos and in nature uh, that is individuating through each of us and through each species. So the when Jung uses the term individuation, that that's what uh, uh, our our life of psychological development is all about. He's not just talking about separating from the crowd. He is including that, that we each have to find our own individual path. Um, uh, that, but he's making another point, and that is that this, that the, it's not just a matter of separating from the whole, either as us as individuals or human beings separating from the rest of nature. It's also um, in a fuller journey coming into consciousness of our relationship to the whole and to the archetypal grounds of experience and to the and into the um, soulful depths of nature out of which all of us emerge. And with that, recognition and that rebirth we we suddenly discover our specialness but in a new way because that specialness it's like we're now rooted in the earth rather than in a potted plant that's isolated from everything else we're um a good um synonym for for individuation as jung is using it is flowering essentially in other words, the vision that I'm trying to portray is the idea that the cosmos is always, the cosmos is essentially creative. Uh, as Whitehead would say, it's creative through and through. So it's, it's as uh, Brian Swim calls it, it's a, it's a cosmogenetic process. It's cosmogenesis is what's going on all the time. But cosmogenesis likes to, as part of it, it differentiates into all these different species, these different forms of life, the splendor of the variety of, 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 of life, one of which is the amazing human being. How, as Shakespeare would say, like just how, how, how like an angel, how noble, how uh, perfect and in, in so many ways in form and gifted and uh, grace and language and thought. Um, and then this is from that, that, same speech in uh it was from an, a, a speech in hamlet from the same play that um i quoted from before uh, and then he says um but uh this is just dust um the human being is also just it's just in in the end in the end is just this kind of quintessence of 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 dust and recognizing um, also how little we are. Well, my main point here is the ain't this um, this beautiful being that the human is with such a shadow, um, that beauty, that intelligence, our capacity for imagination, for reflection, that's the universe's beauty and the universe's intelligence coming through us. It's the universe's own imagination and and um, genius that is taking human form uh, in in each of us and in each of us in unique ways. So we regain that specialness that you were talking about, but now it's a it's a healthy specialness. It's a healthy it's a specialness that recognizes that we are unique expressions of this grand whole, rather than being. Um, 
in a kind an isolated elite that's superior to everything else. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna add um, Jonathan Swift's quote to your Shakespeare's quote of uh, we are, they we are a pernicious race of vermin. Uh, more than yeah. that's that's in between the dust that you were talking about and yeah. i i there's, there's so much truth to that i mean right now um oh, there's gosh. yeah it, it's uh it's so loud and what i i'm listening to uh as you describe um the de-enchantment or disenchantment and now the enchantment a bit that could come is a very simple uh term i i tend to try to use the simple terms of of uh, recognizing uh, our own individuality and recognizing our connection to what's around us and as a psychotherapist um and maybe yvonne thinks this way too is like what thinking about how synchronicity can help us recognize our individuality and our connection to just one other person and how that can then <clears throat> re web out i mean because you're very conscious of this web of that of reality and you're describing it so beautifully and that's how your mind works but you've got somebody in around the house who has to deal with some people individually and that that gives a balancing uh that i'm very interested in that part of it that is looking at both and separate and part and and of individual relationships because what i am trying to be able to have synchronicity do something with is be able to make this web more visible because synchronicity highlights the uh, the invisible currents that connect and unify us and we know we're connected with each other and with nature, I've had conversations with trees, so I know there's a consciousness in trees, as you were beginning, as you were kind of suggesting, but they communicate with us just like the the horse can or other animals can. If we tune in to their way of thinking, we they can connect with us, and they want to connect with us. The bugs want to connect with me. I've had that happen a lot of time. There's this impulse of these beings around us, these subjects around us, of wanting to be part of the whole thing with us, but have us recognize that they and us are part of the same thing. That's what they seem to want us to do. And I think synchronicity can help do that in many different ways. And that's 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 my practical part of it. Yeah, that's great that you're yeah bringing it to the level of personal relationship, or in the ca case of psychotherapy, where there's the um, that that very close relationship between the therapist and the uh, patient or the client, and that both are participating in a field of transformation. That if the um, uh, when synchronicities happen, like having both both of you have the same dream image uh, the night before that you're you're seeing each other uh, or um, you just discover just uh, you know all sorts of um, synchronistic patterns that can suddenly come up in the course of therapy that that's a a um, I see that or think thinking of uh, Yvonne's work in this area as a kind of um, helpful support that the field is giving that 
that the larger unfolding of psychological healing that that person is going through is can be supported by they're recognizing that they are part of a transformational crucible or field that is shared with the therapist and uh, that they live inside a, a more, they're not as isolated as they thought they were. And they, they, there's also like a larger healing intelligence that's at work within the therapeutic process that gives little synchronistic signs um, to and enhance that trust in the process in the therapeutic process that's um, a, that's i you're the global picture guy and uh, that's what uh, that's what you tend to do and what I, what i just so our audience knows Yvonne Tarnas is Rick's wife and she's a therapist and she's uh, did her dissertation on uh the first episode meetings between client and patient and finding that there was so much overlap in many instances between the therapist's past and current problems and the patient's past and current problems or current problems. And that's that's suggesting how the patient is sometimes a mirror of the therapist's minds or sometimes with synchronicity, uh, what's out there is a mirror of our minds. And that what, what Yvonne uh, and synchronicity and therapy tells us that uh, you don't have to you're not you're not the only one as the therapist helping somebody change the whole process is helping you change as well and as john Beebe, a jungian therapist in san francisco you know him uh, told me when i was a first year resident at stanford your problems walk into your office and (laughs) and i said who is this guy (laughs) But it yeah. stuck. It stuck with me. He became a strong yeah. Jungian, as you know. And it's the same. It's the same idea in a micro level of what you're talking about. And to be able to embed the details that uh, I deal with, Yvonne deals with, in the greater view that you have is really a wonderful experience for our audience to be able to see the individual relationship, the individual mind, the individuation, which I didn't realize from Jung is also not not just my individuation, but my flowering that connects me with the web that other flowers are part of. And that's, that's a night, nice, that's a better definition of individuation than I've ever run across. So uh, that's, that's an important part of that's important definition for people to get straight. I, I, yes, I think that's, uh, I think you're exactly right. It, interesting coincidence. It was John Beebe who once said that he felt that the word flowering, uh, which I think he, he, he had heard uh, or read Jung use once in relationship to individuation, and he held on to that and he, he mentioned it to me. And I thought that's a really good word um, because that flowering suggests flowers need roots and roots. Uh, go into the earth and they go into and they they draw on the water and the nutrients in the soil they draw on the sun and the air and um uh and they're part of this larger organic field of the whole and uh and so this that helps connect to jung's idea that healing takes place through our being able to tap into the archetypal depths of our own psyche that we all share um that the archetypal unconscious is is uh, is the collective unconscious, but I think what happened as Jung 
cultivated his understanding uh, and implications of synchronicity uh, in his later years. Um, his understanding of the archetypal unconscious and the and the collective unconscious started kind of expanding till he re realized this is really the world um, psyche. It's the anima mundi, the soul of the world. Uh, that's that's what we're reconnecting to. It's not just in, intracranial of the human being or even co collective human beings. So when the the trees or the birds or the stars are meaningfully communicating something to human beings, um, that's that's a sign that these archetypal principles are not just located inside the human cranium they they pervade nature they per pervade the cosmos and therefore the whole healing process that's happening in the psychotherapeutic relationship as well as the whole religious quest to um come into some contact with a with a a higher spiritual reality or a, a, a divine um power of some form that that is ultimately now taking place not just internally inside our own you know private um, consciousness. It's it's being supported by the whole cosmos, um, every, and in that sense, everything breathes together as well. It's not just it's not just human beings isolated or even the human species that has its own lock on uh, meaningful um, consciousness. Those archetypal principles and those that capacity for symbolic communication is an aspect of reality itself, and we are participants in, in it. We're not, and we're late coming, perhaps very precious, uh, special participants in that larger meaningful field. But we're not the whole game. Hey, the the the. Uh animation of reality the the taking the spirit out of what's around yeah. us uh that that you've described so nicely with uh western mind particularly technological mind um what you're doing for me and hopefully our audience is helping me see the animation out there uh, and mm -hmm. archetypes or or a more a more subtle a more symbolic way of saying what other uh, uh, the way things can manifest in archetypal terms so we can see the animation of the trees and the flowers and the horses and what you're saying too is the animation of the stars that the stars are also communicating to us and the terminology we use for that is ast astrology, which is has always been uh, a correlation or a synchronicity, a meaningful connection between what's going on down here and what's happening up here. I like to point to the sun and the moon, just to start with. Why are they look like they're the same size when they're 93 million miles apart? That's that's saying, hey, human beings down there, there's something more going on around here than you know. Yeah, that, and that's why everyone, including um, the most um, disenchanted scientists, are absolutely enchanted watching a, a total solar eclipse, which could only happen, as you say, it could only happen because 
the sun happens to be 400 times larger than the moon, but it is 400 times farther from the earth than the moon, so that they, when they're lined up at that one point, it's a perfect match. Uh, and of course, the sun as the ruler of the day, the moon as the ruler of the night, it's this great kind of cosmic symbolization of this reunion of day consciousness and night consciousness of of uh, of um, basically this a, a reunion of yin and yang the, uh, yeah yin and yang of the conscious and the unconscious uh it's a it's a what jung would call a symbol of the self with a capital s which is a the um sacred marriage the yeah male and the, female yeah it's it's eros gamos uh sacred yeah. marriage they're 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 there together and uh, they like looking at it uh people like looking at it uh, put their glasses on but the archetypal meaning of that union for however brief a time and i love it that the moon blocks out the sun i mean there's something there's something about hey hey you got to be quiet for a little while here <laughs> i'm taking over yeah and every and everything um it, it, no no matter how uh disenchanted and dis uh kind of literal minded that the person is who's watching it there's a numinosity to that experience yeah, that's un yeah. unmistakable. And yeah. ast astronomers fly all around the world to be able to watch one, one, one of these happen. And yes, it's partly for rationalistic scientific reasons that they can write a paper about, but they're compelled by, I mean, they're kind of, um, you know, I, th I think of, uh, of, of astronomers uh, in, as being, um, they're, they're, they're high priests of the cosmos uh, who have a sense of its sacredness. They can't quite articulate it, but they're completely compelled by it. And and that sense of wonder that they have, whether it's looking at the at the um, solar eclipse or looking at the vastness and magnificence of this incomprehensibly large and complex universe, uh, they, there's a sense of wonder that wells up in them, and that's. Uh, and it's that's it's that sense secret. of it's that sense of wonder to anomaly because they astronomers say, oh, hey, wait a minute, that gravitational field is not what I thought it would be, given what we know currently. So dark energy, dark matter came around. Uh, I want to bring down to Earth the interest in anomalies that astronomers uh, and astrophysicists have, because it's the same thing. You get Absolutely. curious yeah you get curious hey why'd that happen it's like and you try to figure it out and yeah. synchronicity meaningful coincidences are clues to how reality works you know that i know that because we're both interested in figuring out how this thing works it's really <laughs> what is this going on around here ladies and gentlemen and synchronicity is a great key to being able to answer that question as you well know I, you brought up at the beginning, Bernie, um, when you're introducing me, that uh, that my book Cosmos and Psyche had been the inspiration for this documentary series called Changing of the Gods, and um, I I wanted to mention, I mean, I while I didn't make this, it's a ten part documentary series, but particularly uh, episode one is the one that really uh, 
focuses on my uh, work and or introduces my work and as well as my how this research began with Stan Groff, um, the uh, one of the founders of transpersonal psychology and uh, our work at Esalen Institute in the 1970s began this. And so anybody who wants to watch this, I mean, Cosmos and Psyche is, is a uh, substantial book, though, if you're in, I mean, a lot of people seem to enjoy reading the whole thing, I'm glad to say, but uh, it, it is a commitment. But if you want to get just a taste of it from a team of, of filmmakers that were associated with pioneers, the, the um, kind of ecological social justice movements uh, and new paradigm uh, community, they they were the ones that made this this film series. And uh, you can watch it that first episode for free if you go to their website, which is changing of the gods, uh, one word, changing of the gods.com. And you can just watch it's a 30 minute uh, opening episode so that you can get kind of a taste of what what we're talking about here. I want to emphasize that like any um, like any human cultural uh, pro product um, or project, astrology has a shadow side as well as a um, a noble side. And there are problematic uh, forms of way ways of using uh, astrological knowledge. Um, there's tendencies towards determinism, fatalism, uh, almost as if it's a kind of mechanistic uh, uh, system that is going to determine, well, whether you're born under a bad sign or something ridiculous like that. Um, that's not the kind of, uh, you know, sort of pop sun sign horoscope column astrology that we're talking about. It's, it's what, what Jung um, opened up with his interest in astrology in the 20th century uh, and and others have been involved in over these the particularly this last uh, 50 60 years is has been um it's a there's something at a much more sophisticated level that's that's going on and that uh recognizes the importance of human beings conscious participation intelligent participation in these archetypal uh fields and forces that are symbolized by the the movements of the planets and have it and being able to know that what these big cycles are uh and how human history has unfolded in ways that uh as well as our individual lives um unfold in ways that are so powerfully illuminated by understanding the correlation between the planetary movements and these archetypal patterns of human experience um that's the that's the focus that uh we we want to bring and it calls on human uh responsibility human uh agency our our, our level of consciousness shapes the, what happens we participate in a larger unfolding one last thing i'll say about that i think of what archetypal astrological insight provides us with is a kind of sense of like the larger 
chordal structures, like musical chordal harm, harmonic structures of our of of our lives, but then what notes we sing, what melodies we we sing to those chords, uh, what dances we dance to that music, that's up to us. That we 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 play a role in in how these um, multivalent archetypes come through. And that's where our moral uh, uh, and psychological uh, level of awareness plays a big role as well. Oh, that's uh, I'm so glad you emphasized that uh, astrology is not fate. Astrology offers choices. You have the ability to decide. There is some element of free will element, not all. It's a limited amount of it, and astrology can give us the bounds within which we can go this way or that way, and still our choice, and our choice, as you're emphasizing, influences the whole thing, uh, that we are participatory in what happens out there. And synchronicity, it's got to be important. Uh, it's got to be important for people to recognize they're not commands. Coincidences aren't commands. They're suggestions. They're yeah. possibilities. They're guidelines. In invitations to a mystery. <laughs> that's a that's a nice Sherlock Holmes story. <laughs> invitation <laughs> to a mystery. I think of it as all very much like looking around. So, Rick, uh, we come to the end of our delightful discussion, and uh, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, you're so scholarly and so clear in what you say. I so much appreciate. Oh being I'm, able to I'm talk glad with you, you again it. thank that's very kind of you to say uh bernie and um yeah I, I i hope that what we talked about will be of of value to your your audience and um our audience today uh, uh th thank thanks for inviting me and drawing me out on on these uh on these ideas which are uh, the perfect interface between your life work and mine <laughs> indeed this psychosphere is our mental atmosphere, like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.